may clear our minds of all other thoughts but to know you better. And we pray that uh, through the Holy Spirit in our hearts, you will help us to understand what you have said to us in your word today in Luke chapter 19. We pray that you will help me to be faithful and that uh, truly all of us together will continue to learn from you and to grow in faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, what is faith? Okay, I want you to think for a moment. Okay, what is faith? And is there a difference between genuine saving faith and a fake, ineffective faith? Okay, just think for a moment. What is faith? And is there such a thing as a genuine saving faith compared to a fake and ineffective faith? Now, if you can't answer those questions, then today is the right day that you're here at church and the right day that you're looking at this passage because I think that today, in Luke chapter 19, truly we see the difference between faith, real faith, and faith which doesn't save. So we begin by looking at a person called Zacchaeus. And it says there in verse 1 to 2, that Jesus entered Zacchaeus and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, as we've been uh, going through the second half of the book of Luke, we see that uh, there's all these place marks in uh, the book of Luke which tells us that Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem. And he will get to Jerusalem on Good Friday, no? Okay, he'll get to Jerusalem at the very end of his life where he will go to the cross. Okay, so as we've been looking through the second half of Luke, Jesus is moving his way geographically down towards Jerusalem. So if you look at this map, how come it always looks bigger on my computer screen? Okay, doesn't matter. Uh, Jericho is here, okay? So you can see Jericho is really close to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is here. So when we began in chapter 10, remember Jesus was coming down here, so he's made his way all the way down to Jericho, and he's moving towards Jerusalem. And as he goes through Jericho, he meets a person called Zacchaeus. Now, So Zacchaeus is not a parable. Zacchaeus is not a made-up person. He is a real person, just like you and me, except he lived more than 2,000 years ago in Jericho. But we're told two important things about this person called Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector. He wasn't just an ordinary tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. So a normal tax collector would have a toll booth where he would collect money as people went on the road for their produce or using the road. But he was someone who was the chief over them in the sense that he was the tax collector over the whole region. So he would bid for like, say, I want to tax the region of Haogang or Topayo, or the whole of East Singapore, right? And he would pay the Romans, and then he would collect taxes from his own people. So you can imagine that he became really rich, because you know he had all these junior tax collectors, or people that he would collect commissions from. So that's why it says that he was wealthy. And this word wealthy is really important, because it is the same word which described the other three characters, the rich, wealthy characters that we've come across and looked so far. So let me refresh your memories about these characters, okay? So, next slide. So, Luke chapter 12, Jesus told the parable of a rich man. And the word here, rich, is exactly the same word as the word that is used to describe Zacchaeus. It says that wealthy, the word wealthy is the same word as rich. So, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. I'm sure you can remember, right? He thought, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. What a good problem to have. Too much Too many possessions, right? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. 
And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be for anyone who stores, himself, things up, sorry, stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Can you remember that character? Luke chapter 12? Luke chapter 16. Right, just a few weeks ago, there was a rich man, the same word, there was a wealthy man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side and the rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Okay, that was the second rich man. Then the third rich man was in Luke chapter 18, just a chapter before. A certain ruler asked him, asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus goes and explains various things. And then at the end he says, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. So here were three characters that we've seen before in the, in the, in the stories in Luke. And all of them were described in the same way. They were wealthy, they were rich. Same word as described Zacchaeus, and every one of them was lost. Every one of them went to hell, none of them was saved. So therefore, when we see this word here in verse 2, Zacchaeus was wealthy, we are, we're supposed to ask ourselves the, the question, will Zacchaeus, this rich man, be saved? Can Zacchaeus enter into the kingdom of God? Because we had three people, three, three strikes, right? None of them were saved. Okay, then we look in verse 5 to 8. Okay, I'm going to skip a little bit because we've got a bit to look at. Now in verse 5, it says, when Jesus reached the spot where, uh, you know, he looks up, and Zacchaeus is there in the sycamore tree. He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be, a, to the, guest, sorry, to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, if you, only, if you look at the, the narrative, you, also, you notice that the, the main character in the story is not really Jesus, right? All Jesus does is looks at Zacchaeus and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, come down, right? The main character is Zacchaeus and what Zacchaeus does. So what exactly does Zacchaeus do? Well, Zacchaeus responds very, very positively to Jesus. Look at what it says there. Jesus asked Zacchaeus, I want to stay at your house. And how does Zacchaeus respond in verse 6? He came down at once, immediately, straight away, and welcomed Jesus gladly. Now this is really important. Okay, We might think, well, what's the big deal? Because it shows the head response and the heart response of Zacchaeus. He responded to Jesus straight away, and in his heart, he was glad, he was happy, he was joyful that Jesus was coming to his house. Now we might think this is not a big deal, but actually it is a big deal because these, this is how the other disciples of Jesus had responded to Jesus when they first met Jesus. 
So in Luke chapter 2, right, all the way back to Luke chapter 2, you probably forgot it by now. Remember when the angel came to the shepherds. The angel said to the shepherds, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So you notice here that Zacchaeus responded to Jesus with joy. And here the angel says that he brings good news of great joy. And this is exactly how Zacchaeus relates to Jesus with joy. And also the shepherds, they, they, they at once they hurried off. The word he hurried off means the same word. They immediately went off and obeyed the angel to find the baby Jesus. And that is exactly how Zacchaeus responded. Immediately, at once, with great joy in his heart. But more than that, it says here that when Jesus came to his house, and the people were muttering about how Zacchaeus was a sinner, in verse 8, Jesus, he, Zacchaeus says to Jesus, Look, Lord! Lord! Now, Lord could mean anything, right? Just a person who is in authority, a person who is got a, you know, exalted position. But look at, look at again what it says here. Christ the Lord. Right? That's what Jesus is. He is Christ the Lord. So I think that when Zacchaeus calls Jesus Lord, in many ways he actually recognizes the identity of Jesus. That he is the Lord, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, the King. And it's not just empty words because Zacchaeus says, Look Lord, here and now... I give half my possessions to the poor. Now I want you to think about all the things you have, okay? I see some young people here today, but I'm sure young people have lots of possessions too. Just think of all the possessions you have, and all the money in your bank, every investment you have, and just think of reducing it by half. Would you give half of it away? You know, I don't know. Not, 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 you know, not that you have an iPhone now so you can give your old Nokia away. But I mean, half of everything you have away. Would you give half of everything away? Well, that's what Zacchaeus does, isn't it? He says, I will give half my possessions away to the poor. Now, in Judaism, apparently, you were a very generous man if you just gave 20% already. So Zacchaeus could have said, I give 20% of all I have to the poor. But he says, no, I give half of everything I have away. And more than that, he says, I will pay back four times the amount if I've cheated anyone. Now, according to the law given by Moses, if you cheated someone, you only needed to pay back 20%. Okay, so I'm not going to read it, but in Numbers chapter 5, verse 5, it says there, right, the last verse, okay, if you cheated anyone, add one-fifth. Okay, that's, for those of you who met, it's not very good. One-fifth is 20%. Okay? But the case could have said, I just, if I've cheated anybody, I, I will pay 20% more of what I've cheated. But Zacchaeus actually does the maximum, right? Because in Exodus chapter 22, for stealing, you pay actually four times if uh, you steal sheep. So Zacchaeus says, I will pay up to the maximum four times, right, if I've stolen from you. Now, I want you to think for a moment, why does Zacchaeus say that he will pay back four times if he has cheated anyone? I think it's probably because in his life, there is a real reason to suspect that maybe he has cheated people. Because tax collectors were known to 
swindle people, to overcharge people. Maybe he didn't pay his, his commissions very well to his employers. Maybe he cheated someone. And that's why he says a strong possibility that he did cheat someone. So I want you to think about Zacchaeus very carefully. When he came to Jesus, he was just someone who was a busybody. Look at verse 3. He just wanted to see who Jesus was. It doesn't say in verse 3 he wanted to come to worship Jesus. He didn't want to come to follow Jesus. He just wanted to see who Jesus was. But after he met Jesus, his whole life takes a 180 degree turn. In his head, he now becomes obedient to Jesus. Jesus says, I want to go to your house. He says, okay, at once. In his heart, he is joyful. With his mouth, he praises Jesus as Lord. And with his money, he gives half his possessions to the poor and four times anybody he's cheated. Now why is this happening? It's because Zacchaeus has been transformed with his meeting with Jesus. He is now a follower of Jesus. He is now a disciple of Jesus. He now has faith in Jesus. So what does Jesus say in verse 9? Jesus said to Zacchaeus, to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. That means that he is just as worthy to be saved as anybody. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, salvation has come to this house. Why? Is it because Zacchaeus gave away half his money? Is that the secret to salvation? No, the secret is salvation has come to this house of Zacchaeus because... Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the seeker of the lost. And Zacchaeus has allowed himself to be sought and saved. Isn't that what it's saying? Jesus says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus has put his faith in Jesus, but not just any faith, but a living and obedient faith. He's allowed himself to be saved by Jesus. Now I think that this parable is such a... Oh, it's not a parable. Mm. Sorry, it's not a parable. This real life story has so much application when you think about it for us. So the first thing is, do you allow yourself to be saved by Jesus? You know, Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. So do you allow yourself to be saved by Jesus? You know, when I was growing up, actually, not even now, I'm still growing up because my, my dad still says the same thing to me. My sons can tell me, right? My dad always says, Never ever rely on other people. And now he's saying it to my grandchildren. Right? No, his grandchildren, my children. Right? <laughs> Never ever rely on other people. So, you know, he'll always tell us this long story about how, you know, when he was studying university, he used to drive a taxi, you know, he used to go and pick fruit, he used to work in the docks because, you know, you never ever rely on anybody. You must listen, never ever rely on anybody. Now, the problem with that is that uh, I think we can identify with that as Singaporeans, right? We, we don't, Singaporeans don't have an attitude of trying to rely on other people. You know, we don't believe in taking social security. I mean, if we go and see a psychiatrist for our problems, we feel there's something wrong, right? We, we always feel we must stand on our own two feet. But Jesus actually says that that is the wrong attitude when it comes to salvation because we cannot save ourselves. If Jesus comes to seek and save the lost, it is because we cannot save ourselves, right? And therefore... We must rely on Jesus wholly, just like Zacchaeus did for salvation. We must respond with faith to Jesus. 
to be saved. That's how we have salvation. So uh, another illustration is imagine there's a you know like Niagara Falls. There's a big there's a big waterfall, right? And you have to cross from one end to the other. How do you get from one end to the other? Okay, let's say there's a tightrope, but you can't tightrope. How do you get from one end to the other? You know that if you walk on this tightrope, you fall into the great waterfall and you'll die. So what do you do? You have to get onto the back of someone to carry you across, isn't it? Now, there's no point saying, okay, I will walk the first few steps and then you can carry me. Neither is there any point in saying, okay, I'm halfway there now, you can put me down and I'll try to get the rest away myself. Or, I'm nearly there, there's only a few more meters, let me down now, let me try myself. No. All the way from the beginning to the end, you need to be on the shoulders of that person carrying you across to the other side. And that's the same thing with salvation, isn't it? Because Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. Why? Because we cannot save ourselves even 1%. All of it must be done by Jesus and we must put our complete faith in Him and not in our ability. And that's the example of Zacchaeus. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. But notice the faith of Zacchaeus. Because actually the passage never says that Zacchaeus has faith, isn't it? There's no word there, faith. But the actions of Zacchaeus show that he has faith because he has, he has saving faith because of his obedience and his transformation in following Jesus. Now, what is saving faith? I know that I gave a talk at a camp, church camp many years ago, not this church, and halfway to the church, the, 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 the church campus uh, re- revolted against me. Right? And uh, the reason was because we had this answer and question time and we, were, we, we talked about this issue of faith. And they said, as long as a person says the sinner's prayer, they can be saved. And I said, no, that's not true, isn't it? Because that is not, that is not faith. Just because you said the sinner's prayer 10 years ago doesn't mean that you're saved today. Faith is shown in action. Right? It must be shown in, in action today. Not just because of what you said a prayer 10 years ago. But Zacchaeus, by his actions, show that he really puts his faith in Jesus. He is transformed. He has living faith, living and obedient faith, not a word-based faith. So again, you look at Zacchaeus, he rejoices to follow Jesus. With his mouth, he praises Jesus. He obeys Jesus at once. Jesus says, I I want to come to your house. And And Zacchaeus says, yes, now. Jesus doesn't say to him, give away half your money. Zacchaeus says, I give away half my money. I will pay back four times what anybody has been cheated from me. See, I wonder when we reflect on ourselves, what sort of faith do we have? Do you have a living faith which shows itself in obedience to Jesus? Do you do the things that Jesus wants you to do? Do you respond to Him with joy? Are you generous with the things that you have? Because if you do not have a faith which is shown in action, then is it really faith? So I remember meeting a Japanese man many years ago and I met him for one day. He was a staff worker in a university in Japan and he apologized to me for World War II. And I thought, oh well, you know, that's very unusual, right? Because Japanese don't usually apologize. And he said, well, I can only do this because of Jesus, he said. Because I believe in Jesus and now I know what's right and wrong and Jesus taught me about forgiveness. You see, here was a man who, whose heart had been changed because of his encounter with Jesus and who put his faith in Jesus and now he has changed. I wonder whether we are like that, whether our hearts are changed 
whether our faith is shown in the way that we live. I think the third application is very clear, isn't it? Here was a rich man who was saved. Here was a rich man who was saved. And there were three other rich people before who were not saved. Why were these three rich men before not saved? Isn't it because they were possessed by their riches? They didn't, it wasn't that uh, they possessed riches, their riches possessed them, isn't it? Because what happened was, their riches stopped them from following Jesus. They believed that they owned their riches instead of like Zacchaeus, that they were merely stewards who used their riches to show their faith and to be rich towards God. Now, I want to ask you this question. I'm sure all of you will say yes because I can look at you and I know the answer already. Does everybody here have a mobile phone? Yes, right? Anybody here not have a mobile phone? You can put up your hands. You don't have a mobile phone? Okay. Okay, one person. Okay, don't worry. I have other questions. Don't worry. Many other questions. Okay. Do you have a computer at home? Yes, we all have computers at home, right? Do you all watch TV at home? No? Okay. Wow. Andrew's shaking his head. Okay. I'm sure you own a fridge, right? Okay, do you all sleep on a bed at home? Yes, you have a roof over your head, you have enough eat to eat. I notice all of you have enough to eat. Some of you maybe eat more than others, right? Do you have a place to call home? If you say yes to most of those things, you are the top 10% richest people on the planet. Okay, uh, the latest world statistics show that if you earn more than US 34,000 a year, you are the 5% richest people in the world. Okay, so there's this website called the World Wealth Calculator and you can put in how much you earn and it'll tell you how rich you are. So by any stretch of the imagination, we are all here rich. We are like Zacchaeus. We are rich. Now you can go to some churches and say, oh, you know, you're really blessed because we're also rich, right? But actually, it doesn't matter what those churches say. What really matters is what Jesus says. And remember Jesus said in chapter 18, He said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And he was saying this because wealth and riches and possessions were an obstacle to following Jesus. Like I said before, we don't possess our riches, the riches possess us, isn't it? But Zacchaeus was different because he didn't think in terms of ownership. He thought in terms of stewardship and he used his money to be generous to other people. So the rich man in the parable, he was not generous to Lazarus who was lying at his gate. The rich fool was only generous towards himself. The rich ruler was called to give out his possessions to the poor but he could not do it. So as we look at ourselves, do we possess our riches or do those riches possess us? Do we feel that we own those things or are we stewards over those things? Are we generous with our possessions? Like someone said, the last thing to be converted is the back pocket, right? Where the wallet is. See, you notice here that Jesus, what Jesus says and how Zacchaeus reacts is very different from the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel says, Zacchaeus, give half your money away so that you'll get back a hundred times. Right? What well, does giving away money so that you actually get more money? I mean, which is what the prosperity gospel says. You know, give more to get more back. Well, that's not being generous, right? That's actually being selfish. I mean, that's actually enriching yourself. Zacchaeus here gives out of generosity without the expectation of getting anything back. 
So I want you to take out your wallet. Just for a moment. Okay, I, I know some of the women have very big ones. Okay, mine is small. Okay. Now whose money is this? It's actually God's money, isn't it? We are just stewards of God's money. And more than that, as we will go on and see, the hands that hold that wallet is also God's hands. The arm that is connected to that hand is also God's arm. And the, the shoulder which is connected to the arm is also God's shoulder. And we are stewards of not just the money, but all that we have. Because in verse 11, Jesus goes on, and I think he links the experience of Zacchaeus to this parable. So in verse 11, it says, while they were listening to this, the crowd was there, right? The ones who were calling Zacchaeus dinner. He went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So why was this happening? Because the expectation was, if Jesus was the Messiah, when he got to Jerusalem, the kingdom of God will come immediately. But Jesus says no, isn't it? Because in chapter 17, he already said there was a delay between his coming and the second coming. There was a delay between the first coming, which brought in the kingdom of heaven, to his second coming, which would consummate the kingdom of God. So he tells this parable to explain what was going to happen. And the parable actually is not related so much to what the people thought, but how the people should behave while he was away. So look what it says there in verse 12. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king, and then to return. Okay, now in those days, King Herod, who was the king in the time, uh, in the past, before he actually became king, this is exactly what happened, so they would be very familiar with this, with this incident. So what happened was King Herod would be appointed king, but he would go all the way to Rome to be crowned and coronated king. Now in those days, obviously, you can't catch the Tiger Airways flight to Rome, right? and then catch it back the next day. Actually, no, because he was king, he'd probably take Silk Air instead. Right? So he couldn't just fly there, become king and come back. Right? He would take a long journey and then take a boat, whatever, go to Rome, get crowned king and then come back again. So there was a long delay between the appointment of the king to the crowning of the king to the coming back to serve as king. And that's what this whole passage is about, the delay between the crowning of kingship and the coming back. And Jesus says, what, what's going to happen during this delay? Right? He's the king who's come, but there is a delay before he comes back to exercise his rule and authority. So what's going to happen during this delay? So in verse 13, he says, So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minors. Okay, ten minors is about four months' wages. Okay, Four months' wages is ten minors. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Now there are two different groups of people here, okay? The servants who belong to the master's household, and the subjects who are like just the normal people, right? So the master here is obviously, uh, as we will see, is Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the one who comes. Jesus is the one who goes away and the one who comes back again. He's the master. And there are two groups of people that he's talking about here. The servants, those who belong to his household, and then there are the subjects, those who are outside the household. So, the servants are told that they have to look after one minor each. Okay? Ten divided by ten is one. Okay? So, one minor, each, each person gets four months wages to look after and they must, it says there, 
put it to work or make a profit from it or do business with it. That's what they're supposed to do. That's what the master has told them to do. Don't just laze around while I'm gone. Do work with these four months' wages. Now, at the same time, there are these subjects, but we don't have enough time to look at them. But they are there, but they don't want Jesus to be king. But that's another, another part you can do in your Bible study. Okay? Right now, we're focusing on the servants. So you notice here that Jesus has given his, subject, uh, sorry, his servants ten minors. Each person gets one, and they're supposed to work it. Now, he comes back in verse 15. And when he comes back, he sends for his servants to ask them, What did you do with the money I gave you? Have you been obedient? Have you put it to work? Have you made a profit? Have you done business with it? And in verse 16 to 19, we see the results. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned 10 more. Wow, good, good, good result, right? 1,000% return. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you've been trustworthy with a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. The second came and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Now, it's amazing, isn't it? Because when you look at this parable, the miner is only four months' wages. So this man, the first uh, servant, has been responsible for looking after four months' wages. And because he has been responsible Jesus, the master, when he comes back as king, gives him ten cities. Now, you think about that for a moment. It's almost like saying, like, okay, <clears throat> you're a very good manager of a 7-Eleven store, and I put you in charge of a country, like, say, Italy, which has got ten big cities. That's what's happening here, okay? So, you're, you're, you've been responsible with the 7-Eleven. You all know what 7-Eleven is, right? Okay? You've been responsible with 7-Eleven, and because you've been responsible to 7-Eleven, I give you a charge of Italy. Okay, that's what's happening here, okay? And that's why it's, 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 it blows your mind, isn't it? Because he says in verse 17, you've been, you've been trustworthy in a very small matter. And what is a very small matter? The very small matter is our life, isn't it? The things of our life, that's what he's saying. He's saying, during the time while we wait for Jesus, the things that we have, the, the gifts that we have, the energy that we have, the mind that we have, I mean, it's a very big deal to me, maybe a very big deal to you, but it's actually a very small matter compared to heaven, compared to what we will get and be rewarded in heaven. It's a very small thing. So we might think that our money is very important, we might think that our jobs are very important, we might think that our possessions are very important, but Jesus actually says it's a very small matter. This is something you need to be trustworthy with so that when you actually get your reward, it is so much bigger and so much greater. The life that we live here is just a very small matter. Now, so do you believe that? Do you believe that the life that we live here is a very small matter? Because if you do, then you will live life in a stewardship, trustworthy way to listen and obey the Master Jesus. Now, in verse 20, we're introduced to another servant. Okay? Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's my miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in, you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. 
You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. Sir, they replied, Here he has ten. He replied, I will tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Now, uh, I know that uh, somebody in my Bible study group asked, Hey, what happened to the other servants? Why, what, there's only three, right? But I, I, I think the point of the parable is not to look at the other, the other, the other uh, seven. But this parable is about the difference between the first two and the third servant. So, what's the difference between the first two servants and this servant? Well, this servant has a very different attitude to the master. Supposedly, he is part of the household of Jesus. Supposedly, he is a servant. But he doesn't act like a servant of Jesus. He doesn't act like someone who belongs in the household of Jesus. Why? Because of his attitude. He's got a bad attitude. He's got a bad attitude to the master. He's got a bad attitude to Jesus. And why? Well, he doesn't really have faith in the master. Look at how he views the master. Look, I was afraid of you. You're a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. Was Jesus really a hard man? Is the master really like that? Not really based on the way that he rewarded the first two servants. He was not a hard man. He gave the first two servants much, much greater things. So instead of having faith, this third servant, or this remaining servant, he doubts the master. Instead of trustworthy service, he has only suspicion. Right? Instead of stewardship, there is only neglect and rebellion. See, this is the contrast between real, living, obedient, active faith and pretend faith or counterfeit faith where there is no obedience, no action, no fruit, and no love. You can't say that this servant actually loves like Zacchaeus does. He's not joyful. There is no joy in him serving the master. This is a person who maybe comes to church, or says he's a Christian, or wears a cross, but in his heart, really, the way that he views Jesus, or she views Jesus, is a tyrant. A person who doesn't want to obey what Jesus says, even though they know what Jesus says. This is a person who sees Jesus as someone who really doesn't have the good life for them. I wonder whether we can be like that. That we just look at Jesus and we think, ah, yeah, you know, I don't really want to serve Jesus. He really doesn't have anything good for me. He's only a tyrant. He's a bad man. right? And you don't actually want to obey what Jesus says to you. Well, that's not living faith, right? That's counterfeit faith, which does not say. It's like a man saying to his wife, I love you, I really love you, and I really, really love you. The ocean cannot hold all my love for you. Okay? I love you to the, to the moon and back. But yet this man sleeps around with other women, never buys any presents for his wife, only buys presents and roses for other, people, other women, doesn't do what is pleasing to his wife, abuses, ignores, his wife. Can you really say that this person loves his wife? No, because his actions are not consistent with his words. He's in the same household, but he's not really married in his heart. In the same way, 
this is like this servant, isn't it? He says, I'm part of the household of God. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. But his actions betray that his heart has no faith in Jesus. And as a result, look at what happens. It says there that the minor that he has is actually taken away and given to the other person. Now, the question that obviously we want to ask is, what happens to this servant? Is he just left with nothing, but he finally gets to heaven? Right? He's like uh, no towns to look after, <laughs> just goes to, goes to heaven. Is that what happens? No, right? Because actually the picture is that Jesus says in verse 22 that he is a wicked servant. He's not a faithful servant. He is a wicked servant. And in Matthew chapter 25, right? Uh, if you ever get time, you can compare Matthew chapter 25 because the parable that Jesus tells there is, is the same as the parable that we read here in Luke, except that the, the details are different. Instead of a minor, Jesus uses a talent. A talent is a silver coin, a different denomination. So I'm sure that at different times, Jesus probably told the same parable, maybe in different contexts, but he uses different um, currency notes, right? Okay. So here, in verse 30 of Matthew 25, look, exactly the same words, right? He takes a talent, give it to the one who has ten talents, Everyone who has will be given more, right? Whoever does not, even what has will be taken. But look what it says in verse 30. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, there are, there, there, are, there are servants in the household who do not have living, active, obedient faith. Jesus has given us our minor and our minor is ourselves. Our lives our energies, our minds, our arms, our legs, our mouths, and we are meant to use it to do the business of God in this world. And when Jesus comes back, Jesus says, Hey, what did you do with what I gave you? What, what you're stewards with? Right? What did you do with it? And will you then say to Jesus, Well, you know, actually I didn't do anything with my life. I just sort of, uh, you know, wrapped it up and put it hidden away. And I went about doing my own stuff. Well, how would Jesus treat us then? How will the Master treat us on that last day when He comes back and we tell Him that? Is that real faith? Can we really say that we believe in Jesus but not do the things that Jesus wants us to do, that we know that Jesus wants us to do? Is that really saving faith? And the answer is no. So in conclusion, I think I've used this illustration before but no one seems to remember it so maybe I... Maybe I didn't tell it well enough. But John Piper tells this illustration of how in America, all the retirees go to Florida to retire because, you know, that's where it's nice and warm. But it's nice and warm all the time in Singapore, really, so we don't need to go anywhere, right? So anyway, they go to Florida and they spend every day walking on the beach. And they walk on the beach to collect these seashells. Right? And then John Piper said, uh, okay, that sounds like... I mean, some of you might actually wish for that life now. Right? I mean, live on the beach every day, go for a walk on the beach, collect seashells. And John Piper says, that's a waste of life. Right? Because when Jesus comes, and he comes to you and says, what have you done with your minor? You're going to say, look at all these seashells I've collected. Right? And Jesus is going to say, well, what's the point of all those seashells? Because you haven't put your, your life, your minor to work, to do what? Jesus wanted you to do. You were not obedient in faith. You did not live it out. 
Same thing, uh, I met a, a, a retiree. Actually, he, he met me. I was having lunch with this person who was a missionary sort of person, organizer. And we were sitting there, this retiree that I knew, and he knew also, came by and joined us. And we say, we haven't seen you for so long. Where have you gone to now? And he said, oh, I've, I've, I've gone to migrate to Australia. And we said, what do you do every day? He says, oh, I look after my garden. And after he left, I didn't say this, my friend said this. He said, what a waste of time, right? Here, this man could be so, he was quite, he was not very old. He could be doing so much more of his life, but he just spends every day tending his roses and don't know what other, other plants, right? And, and this missionary was saying, you know, this person could be doing so much more with the time that he has. And that's exactly what we learn, isn't it, from today's passage from Zacchaeus as well as what Jesus says. That there is such a thing as a living, active faith which shows itself in obedience. And there is such a thing as faith which is just you know, a counterfeit faith which doesn't show itself in obedience. So which one are you? Are you more like Zacchaeus? Or are you more like the servant? The wicked servant? Because there's a great warning for us. If we are more like the wicked servant, then the great danger is when Jesus comes, Jesus will take away everything from us and we'll be left with nothing. And that will be such a terrible, terrible outcome for us. So I hope for all of us, we will take heed of what Jesus says. We will take the example of Zacchaeus to heart. And we will have a real active faith in Jesus. One which shows itself in obedience to Jesus Christ. So that when Jesus comes, He will say to us, Well done. Isn't that what He says there? He says there in verse 17, Well done, good servant. Those are the words I want to hear from Jesus when He comes. Well done, good servant. And I hope that for every one of us, that's what Jesus will say to us when He comes. Well done, good servant. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to see that our lives are not our own. Help us to see that we cannot allow our possessions to possess us, but rather everything we have is part of our stewardship which has been entrusted to us by you. Help us to to take good stewardship, to be faithful and obedient, and to do the things which matter before you. Help us to show our faith in real, active and obedient ways. We pray for each and every one of us here that we will allow ourselves to be found by Jesus and to be saved by Jesus. And as we respond to Jesus, that we will be like Zacchaeus. That we will respond immediately. We will respond with joy. We will respond with voices of praise. And we will also respond with using the things that we have for your kingdom purposes, that we'll be generous to other people, but not just that, but to do what is important to you and everything, so that when Jesus finally comes, everyone here will hear those, those great words of Jesus, well done, my good servant. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.